Okay, welcome to another episode and we have Lyra here today. Hello. And Lyra, we're going back into one of our favourite topics, right? American's elections. And now in year 2024, the I think the, the presidential election cycle begins. So one of the big news, of course, was the Republican primary, which kicked off in Iowa. Yep. And we want to discuss that today, right? And of course, we started off this season talking about the major theme. You know, we talked about self-determination, I think, last episode. And we also want to talk about pursuit of happiness. So these are the kind of uh, bigger theme that we want to bear in mind as we talk about American politics. Because people will be wondering, why the heck are you discussing something so far away? But we mentioned a few times already in this show that there is great similarity between America and us. In a sense, it is a federation. It has many states, all the states coming together to try to form a nation. And in fact, that's really the spirit of Malaysia, right? Yep. In the first place, we have Malaya, we have Singapore, we have Sabah and Sarawak. Supposedly equal partner. And that's the spirit in, in America. The, the states have so much power in terms of even, I mean, people criticize them, you know, why you have electoral college, you know, why you don't have direct presidential election. And I think it goes back to the root that we have to respect the power of the state. And that's one of the things that I hope we will begin to see more and more in this country. But anyway, let's come back to the topic. Now, now of course, I think just last week, right? I mean, the, the Iowa, they call it caucuses, right? And maybe I just kind of read off some quick facts first. Then I think you can give me some of your instant reaction, right? Okay. Because that, I mean, we've been talking about it quite substantially. So, I mean, coming into the caucuses, Donald Trump, of course, who, who lost the last presidential election was in a very, very high position in terms of polling. I think he was 20, 30%. That, that means it's like, I think they use a point system. You are 20, 30% above your nearest rival. So coming into that, I mean, he won so easily. I think when they first started to count the vote within one hour, you know, American politics have something very interesting. They, they call it, they will call the result. That means when they see a certain trend, certain new news agency in the past, the more respectable one would be AP, Associate Press, and they would just say, we call for this person to win, we call for that person to win, and people would just kind of take it, of course, pending the final count. Now, maybe before we even talk about other things, uh, DeSantis camp, of course, who lost, say this is election interference. So what say you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just bizarre to think that he will be I mean that's the very machinery that is going against Trump and mm. he is someone who has been I, I would say he, his team has ample time to prepare mm. for it I mean unlike Donald Trump because of the indictments because of court hearings yep. he wasn't able to even campaign over there and just seeing the results and I mean he's it, it's almost like there is that perseverance or persistency mm. to not call a victory as it is. I mean, like giving the credit where credit is due, especially to Donald Trump. Yep. It's almost like he's in some sort of denial. I mean, that that, that would be... Yeah, talking about Ron DeSantis, right? Yes, indeed. And and he's just like going all out. It's like, okay, we're going to double down and this is just an inter election interference. It's like, hello, are you, are you looking at the whole Americans as um, idiots? Not being able to see through what is happening on, especially over the last few years, and especially the popularity of, of Donald Trump that just like went off the roof 
especially each time he was being indicted. So those sort of things, I think it goes to show that Americans, they are wanting justice and they are thinking that this is a person that deserves justice. I mean, we're talking about President Trump here and him just being like a, go, being against by all this machinery and the fact that he still wins so comfortably. Mm-hmm. That goes to show that he is, the Americans are believing that he is one who can actually fight against all this machinery and here he is talking about election interference <laughs> and it's almost like uh, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> CNN was not in denial. They, they kind of called for Trump after 30 minutes of counting. Yeah. And now of course just to just to for the for the benefit of our viewers and listeners you know how could news media call an election so quickly with less than 1% counted? There's a few things that happen of course. First they have what they call pre-election poll, which is basically all the data, taking survey after survey. You know, the American voting polls are among the most sophisticated, it's billion dollar industry. So we already mentioned consistently 20, 30% higher than the highest rival. Then they have something very interesting, which is called exit poll. That means once you vote, you come out and they will say, oh, you know, can you answer some question? And surprisingly, a lot of voters participate in that. And the way they structure the exit poll is very interesting. For example, let's say we look at, you know, both of us from Cebu, right? Let's say we are from Palawan seats. Then we know, you know, it's like 70% Chinese, you know, etc. So the exit poll will kind of simulate the the demographic and just say, oh, you know, we need to get X number of, you know, suburban white or, you know, certain suburbs, the, the Hispanic or whatever. So they have, they have the right ratio that's why the polling is very, very effective. They are very, very targeted. And then, so so they have this kind of thing and the result in the end was correct, right? Yep. So some more facts very quickly. So Trump received more than 50% of all votes, making it the biggest Iowa caucuses win ever in the history, ever, okay? And so a, a lot of, a lot of his opponent, right, the Democrats, the left, right, they were a bit stunned. I mean, of course, they saw the polls for so long, but to for that to become a reality, I think some grudgingly acknowledge that he will be the nominee. Yeah, I mean, even Americans have not seen it in, in recent years. And you're talking about the nearest results that will have been seen would be probably around 1988, which is, I mean... <laughs> and it's not even 50%. Like, yeah. it, it's, like, it's far from that, you know. I, I mean, that that's so many years ago when, when politics was not so... Uh, you know, it's not so divisive yet. Or weaponized. Mm. And then, okay, some more interesting facts. I mean, we look at the closest challenger, of course, DeSantis and Nikki Haley got number two and number three. They spent combined 72 million. And Trump only spent 18.2 million. Trump won every single county. Except I think Haley won, won I think, once, you know, somewhere must be a very liberal <laughs> kind of place. Now, very interestingly, I read somewhere, it says that up to five to seven percent of the votes come from Democrat. Now you'd be very you'd be surprised, right? How why would Democrat come and vote in a primary? You know, primary basically is Americans style uh, pre-election kind of choose the candidate. So you suppose I mean, if it's a Republican primary, you should be a Republican voter, right? But five to seven percent they came to spoil the vote for Donald Trump. Of course, it was irrelevant because the result was, you know, beyond conclu- conclusion. And then what, what else? 
what are the fats, right? And it's really... Now, one of the things about the first Caucasus Iowa, why it is significant, and we talk about sports analogy just now, right? You, you know, when you're in a major open, now, for example, is the Australian Opens, January, normally you might see some upset in the early round because everyone... Uh, everyone prepare, you know, you, you may get some loss of form. You, you haven't played to the optimum stage yet. So, you know, the, the American commentator always say, look, Iowa is the place where every candidate is able to put in months of effort because, because the next Caucasus New Hampshire is going to happen very soon. You, you don't have much time to prepare already. So it's like exam, right? You know, let's say you see a schedule, your first paper, typically you can spend the most paper most time, right? Yep. Uh, I mean, depending if that's your strength or weakness. So the conventional wisdom is that DeSantis and Haley, they will have the best chance to create any sort of upset here because of preparation, because of the time, because of the money they spent and they still lose so badly. So so that, that's the thing. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is really based on all these things and the reaction, you know, what's, Donald Trump's position right now because the general election is end of the year. Mm -hmm. So they have this primary cycle for a while and then they go into a general election cycle. And you already mentioned earlier on all the legal problem he was facing in Washington, in Georgia. Um, but some of the interesting headline, right, that, that I, I kind of compile, right? I mean, the first one is from, from China, right? What did China say? Prepare for Trump. Yeah, I mean, the, the Global Times, China, CCP, mouthpiece basically say the world should prepare for Trump. So are, are they being sarcastic or are they being realistic? <laughs> Maybe a mixture of both. Maybe a mixture of both, right? Then, then of course, right now you have the World Economic Forum in, in uh, Davos, <clears throat> Switzerland. And you get a lot of very hysterical Europeans response, right? Yeah, I mean, even even the um, EU press mm. parliament, the former Brexit coordinator, yeah. he was also very despair by the whole thing. Yeah, I think he said if Trump wins, Europe is on their own. I mean, what did Trump do? You know, he came and said, look, you are members of NATO. You all should pay your 2 or 3%. Why should you be freeloading on, on America? And I think that's the thing that we've been saying, right? I mean, if, if, Malaysia, if Malaysia, some other nation freeloading on us at the expense of the citizen, then we wouldn't be happy, right? I mean, even just with the overwhelming support for Palestinian state. <coughs> and I mean, you, you just see some, some Malaysian are also expressing why aren't you taking care of Malaysian mm. first? And yep. why are you taking care of the refugees? I mean, you're talking about we are still having some hardcore poor that did not experience <laughs> all these benefits of even education. Yep. And and here you are, you're handing like giving handouts to to someone who is not even your citizen. Mm. So I think that's the whole thing that we are talking about here. And, and it kind of reminds me of way back in his first presidency when he kind of stopped certain uh when he wanted to build a war and then he says certain um, people cannot come because of the terrorist background and, and People start to say that he is racist and things like that. But he's just looking at national security and say, look, you have certain behavior that is not acceptable. If you want to come to the country to, to help us build, to be part of the nation uh, as a contributing migrant, that's fine because America 
was and still is a migrant nation. But if you come and you just want to do your own thing, then I mean, like what we're seeing in Europe right now, it's a huge mess, right? When, when yep. you have no borders and things like that. But some of his positions, and now this is very interesting because this is uh, CEO of JP Morgan and kind of stirred the news cycle the last few days, Jamie uh, Demon. Uh, so this is what he said, and I quote, he said, I wish the Democrats would think a little more carefully when they talk about MAGA. MAGA, of course, it means make America great again. Basically referring to Trump supporter. And he continued, you know, and if you travel this country, the country is unbelievable. So he, he's talking about the resilience of the voters. People are not stupid. He continued, if you just take a step back, be honest, he's kind of talking about Donald Trump. He's kind of right about NATO, kind of right about immigration. He grew the economy quite well. Tax reform work. He was quite right about China. End of quote. So of course, later on, he kind of backtracked a little bit and said Donald Trump wasn't so good. But he, he did kind of say uh, some good things about Trump, right? Then yeah. in Davos, of course, in World Economic Forum, one unnamed CEO of an American bank, so he doesn't want to be named, okay? And he believed that Trump will win general election. And he said, well, the world will continue. America will not collapse. You know, get over it. Now, he, he was trying to tell his European counterpart get over it, get used to it. Trump is likely to win because Europe was being hysteria. Then, of course, one of the most important reaction is from President Biden himself. And Biden said Trump is in a very strong position. He is likely to be the nominee. I don't know, is he being realistic or he resigned to the fact that he will face Trump again? I think Democrats are rooting, Democrats are actually rooting for it. It's mm. like, almost like battle the devil, you know, then, I mean, I mean, even if you are just talking about someone who is like Ron DeSantis, I think they have resigned to the fact that he's not gonna likely not gonna be. Yeah, nominated. I think he was just too far off. And but as crazy as it sounds, it seems like the Democrats' main strategy is to put Donald Trumps into prison. That's their strategy. And if they fail to do it, if Supreme Court come and say no case, I don't know what's our plan B. I mean, look at all the lawfare and warfare, and now you start to see a lot of wobbly in the Georgia case, in the Washington case. It's not doing well, and, and you know they try to take his name out from the ballot. Now it's going straight to Supreme Court. They want to accelerate the case. Supreme Court say no. So, I mean, general election is end of the year. They're running out of time for the lawfare. Yep. Very, very interesting. But let's look at some other reaction, more crazy one. We already talked about the EU presidency, right? And yeah, maybe you, you like to kind of, kind of point some to us. Okay, maybe I, I, I read this one. Al Gore, still remember Al Gore? Ah. Vice President, right, of Bill Clinton, right? Almost become president. And he said something which I find quite funny. He said, Donald Trump's victory in the upcoming election, talking about general election, is not a foregone conclusion. I mean, who said this kind of thing unless you think you're going to lose very badly, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, we're losing, but we're not losing it. It's like we're three goals down and we're not out yet. No, it's almost like what you were saying earlier on that you read in a report whereby some, some of the Democrats, they are saying that, hey, it, so 50% of the country are against Trump. Because he won 50%. Yeah. It's the biggest like, vote okay. share ever. That's really, really <laughs> just bizarre. And then we also have the former AG, Eric Holder. <laughs> See, yeah. I think a second Trump turn, and this <coughs> is something voters need to keep in mind. 
a second Trump turn would have a politicized, weaponized United States Department of Justice. Mm. Mm. Hello, I mean, that's the very that's what they're doing right now, right? Yes, that is going against Trump. And he added that the American democracy we know might come to an end. I mean, this is just, you know, we want to bring um, this kind of news and highlight because we just see so much similarity between the Democrat and the previous Barisan National, right? They, it, it, it's like they're doing, they, they say, don't do all the things that they're doing. You know, don't cheat in elections, don't have corruption, but they are the master of corruption, they are the master of election uh, cheater and things like that. And eventually we have seen, right, in Malaysia, 2014, 2018, how do you take down? You, you just have to come out in force. It's like, you, because you see, election cheating really happens when the turnout rate is not good enough. And that's where they have chances for manipulation and things like that. But remember 2018, it was beyond a shadow of doubt, right? And yep. Amno was falling very, very badly because uh, basically it's a protest vote against against Najib. Now, of course, people kind of say, oh, it's bad, Mahathir was bad. But, uh, you know, we, we talked about it a few times in the show. It, it was a necessary transition for this country. Otherwise, now, of course, the battle continues because you can't undo 50, 60 years of systemic corruption in one cycle. But it's a start, right? Yep, it is. Then some other reactions. Then, of course, you get the predictable whining from Neville Trumpers. I mean, too many. But... <coughs> but from the democratic, from the Democrat side, uh, sorry, it's not Democrat, from, from the Republican side, you, you start to see something quite interesting, right? Because you get, now of course you get those people who are Trump supporter, like sure supporter. Then you get other people who are like, okay, we are maybe conservative, we are for small government, but we are not hardcore supporter. And you see these people very quickly declare their support for Trump after the first primary. I mean, I just kind of uh, read some name. Um, I mean, Ma Marco Rubio, I mean, not MAGA, definitely. I mean, you have Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, conservative for small government, but I won't call them MAGA. And then who else? Newt Ging Gingrich, former speaker. Uh, who else? John Barrasso, the third-ranked senator. All of them after the Iowa primary endorsed Trump. Because basically, in their mind, it's game over. We shouldn't waste any more time. Now, by the way, do you know that the Republican will spend upward of $2 billion for the primary election? Wow. To be, to select a candidate. That's not even general election. Amazing. So these are some of the crazy reactions, but kind of, I, I don't really hear people ask, you know, people kind of like, oh, is Donald Trump still around? You know, if I ask a typical Malaysian, oh, he's still around. But I mean, I remember my father was asking me a few months ago, he said, oh, is he in trouble? Well, I said, well, they're using lawfare against him, but <coughs> all that is causing him to gain more support among the voters, actually. So I think we are seeing the first proof of that, right? Yeah, I think if anything, instead of wearing him down, actually it energizes him even more. Yep, yep. So the next thing we want to talk about is really, uh, and this is related to one of our major themes, pursuit of happiness, right? Because at the end of the day, when you, people vote for certain someone, you have to ask the question, why do people vote for Donald Trump? And, you know, in 2016, it seems a bit hard to explain, but after almost seven years, I, I think people should see that you, you have some results, you have some proof, right? And 
So we talk about the entrance pole and exit pole, right? And one group, of course, one major... Now, Iowa, of course, quite conservative. Republican generally, um, whoever wants to be a nominee will, will need support from the conservative and a large portion of conservative in US are basically evangelical Christians. So they are a very important voters block, block for the Republican. So in this Iowa one, I think in the end, the, the result shows that Trump received almost 60% of evangelical voters. And now, why do you think so? I mean, of course, we, we kind of are familiar with evangelical uh, voters. And we know we talk about, we talk about transgender, we talk about education, we talk about abortion here, which are all important issues. But in your mind, why did the evangelical go with Trump? I think results speak for itself. I mean, based on what he have done over the last four years, mm -hmm. I mean, three and a half before he had all those tumultuous, I mean, battles ahead of him. I think it's really the results that speak for itself because at the end of the day, you look at what's the fruit, mm. what's the sort of sort of thing that he's showing to <clears throat> to demonstrate the make America great again theme. Yep. Because so he has been consistent since day one, and it's not like. I mean, even if you look at like the rise of populist move, mm. even in Italy. So there's a bit of U-turn here and there. But I think Donald Trump is someone who has shown to be like, he has that sort of business acumen. He had that sort of mindset of profit. Mm. And really, at the end of the day, his goal is really to make America great again. Yep. And I think Americans can genuinely feel that sort of <coughs> benefit from his presidency. Mm. I mean, even just like moving of the embassy to Jerusalem and talk about the Roe v. Wade reversal. Yep, yep. Securing the borders proved to be more important than ever with the immigration. Supreme Court justice appointment. Yes. And that is something that, I mean, if you think about Supreme Court justice, I think that's the, I would say that's that should be lauded as one of the most mm. successful thing mm. that he has ever done. I mean, putting in just three conservative justices, it really, I mean, I mean, even just with the recent case going against the administrative state. Yep. I think that's the very same thing that they were warring against mm. and it's proven to be a very, very wise decision of his. Yeah, because um, just, just a, a little bit background on that case is really, you, you know, over the past 40, 50 years, you start to see the the, the court basically gave the federal government more and more, more and more power. Basically, when you have ambiguity in the law, it's not so clear. The court tends to say, okay, let the government decide. You see, this is, you know, we kept talking about the danger of big government. If you let government decide, for example, healthcare, and you see what's happening in COVID, and then you start to see compulsion in vaccine and things like that. Now you see more and more people, every, every day you see sudden death. Of course, it's not all related to vaccine, but a lot of people at the back of their mind is like, is it vaccine related? And, this, and a lot of people are kind of begin to process. Why should I allow the government to tell me the kind of treatment and medical procedure I should have when it could really endanger my life. So so when you give government that kind of power, that, that, that's what happens. So you see with abortion, you see with transgender, you know, it's not like, look, you, you want to do this in your own home and things like that, fine. You know, you, you want to do all these things in your bedroom, fine. But when you want to bring it, saying that this is the norm, uh, all the children should have the, the ability, they, they want children to to decide whether you want to be a transgender and things like that without parental consent. So this is the kind of thing that many conservatives in America do not want, but especially the evangelical. 
Um, so, so that's why you see, you know, you talk about Supreme Court so important. He put in three justices, right? And they are quite young. Yeah, and they'll be there for a long time. And, and then we see the some very important case, right? The 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 Colorado Baker case. You know, I, I don't want to do things which violate my conscience. Then you see the the coach prayer case. I should have freedom of expression. I want to after my my team won after I coach my team. I want to pray. It is my personal faith. Why should should I not be allowed? So the Supreme Court sided with him. So these kind of things, these kind of things, I think, like what you mentioned, are really tangible result. The and the Iowa voters saw it and they strongly support Trump because remember the Santi now Haley, of course, not really after. The evangelical voter that's not her her cup of tea <laughs> so but the santis really wanted to present himself as a trump alternative and he kept saying that he has a strong evangelical now yeah they did vote for him but not 60 percent strong so that that's the pursuit of happiness kind of thing and you know in, in malaysia i think it, you know we can begin to think you know it, it, it's not necessarily religious but a lot of people want certain lifestyle. We, we want less intervention. We want more economic freedom. You know, we want educational freedom. We want language freedom. And these are the kind of thing that if you show the government that you are a viable voter's vote, hopefully they will take, they will not take you for granted. So there is a very interesting story about Trump early on before his election that he was invited to an evangelical meeting. I think there was like, 2,000 pastors there. And I think he went to the stage and he told them, look, you all have so much power and influence. You just don't know that. You know, if you if you use your leverage, if you use your influence, if you vote for me, you will see that I can vote for you. And I think, and the whole was quiet because they, they kind of look at him suspiciously, you know. But he, and that's one of the underrated part of Trump he really could read the mood of the people so well. And now whether he truly supported them or not, that's irrelevant. He knew what they wanted and he is just such a deal maker, he make it work. So I think, you know, in a, in a political governmental realm, there's a very funny saying, right? If you are too effective, people don't like you. <laughs> because you solve all the problems. That's it, it, so bizarre. I mean, we are in but a that's season true, of wanting... Solutions to be solved. In business mountain, in business world, KPI, performance, but in politics, so, so that's why who are the good consultants, the Middle Eastern consultant who could never solve the Middle East war? <laughs> they, they continue to be hired and paid millions. Cash cow. Yeah, it, it's like so bizarre, right? Yeah, I mean, just talking about the interference from government, I think the, the other term that would be probably more relatable and... I think it's, it's what Millet was saying that mm. in, in Davos, um, the World Economic Forum, and he said, we are here to tell you that collectivist experiments, <laughs> I mean, that's another word for, mm. I mean, really government interference. And these are never the solution to the problems that- Especially COVID era. Yeah. I mean, these are not the solutions mm. to the problems that afflict the citizens of the world. But on the contrary, they are the cause. So I think that goes to show that at the end of the day, I mean, if we are trusting the government so much, if you are never trusting them on a lot of things, and why mm. suddenly when it comes to certain things, like, oh, we, you, they don't show you the credential. I mean, you're just talking about like those health specialists, the so-called quote-unquote health specialists, 
No. Never showing you the credentials. I mean, would you go to see a doctor who is, I, I don't know, like you get a, a, a cert that is probably bought. Mm. I mean, you, I mean, you, I mean, that that would be some analogy that Malaysians would probably understand. And yet, we are happily just submitting willingly to jab after jab and after jab. And and many many cases have shown. I mean, even recent report is showing that White House knew about mm. the consequences, the implications of possible myocarditis, and they yep. just withheld the information. Mm. So why are you trusting them even more? Yeah, yeah. And <coughs> remember, we did so many episodes on vaccine mandate. And one of the things we always say, look, you, you know, we, we saw a lot of reporting, right? They say, you know, efficacy will be good. You must take it. Then every time we say, look, look at the group of doctors who sign. Who are they? Are, are they infectious disease experts? Are they pandemic experts? And, and you get like, what, surgeon and things like that. It, it, it's like, I, I mean a surgeon, what do you know nuts about infectious disease? It, it, it's like you're saying that, oh, you're not a convinced lawyer, it's now a criminal lawyer. You know, give opinion on criminal law case. I mean, I'm not trying to disparage uh, the professional, but that is how it is. There are a lot of people who make statement after statement are basically not qualified to do so. And I, I guess the lesson is really People need to be vigilant in seeking the truth. And I hope after the, the last COVID cycle, because you know, the, the powers to be will create another emergency so that they will be given emergency power. Yeah, I mean, that's the era that we're going into. I mean, going into, uh, I mean, when you think about even lawlessness, when there is <coughs> a rise of rampant lawlessness, you begin to see a rise of more laws that have been created mm. because what it does is essentially it controls the movement of the people. So it controls what you can eat, what you can't eat, what you can do and not do, where, mm. how far you can move. And all these things are really just to control the people. Why? I mean, just to keep like a certain group of people suppressed. Yeah, so now you see like in America, they, they are pushing the EV mandate, but it's being pushed back. So I was really surprised the other day I found out that, you know, Toyota in Malaysia started to have a, a real hybrid model. Real hybrid model meaning you can go full EV or you can go full petroleum. So, <laughs> so I think, when they're feeling more greeny, you go full EV. No, I think they're preparing for the day when there is a huge backlash against EV. Imagine if you only had EV, I mean like BYD or, or Tesla. If there's a huge backlash, that's the end of, of you. Of course, most of the car company now, they try to have two divisions and things like that. But having two options in one car, not a bad idea, right? I don't know if it costs more money. <coughs> but anyway, I think let's wrap up this episode. I mean, we kind of go many places already. Let's talk about some of the things that has been happening around the world, right? And of course, right at the beginning of the year, Taiwan election. Yes. So what do you think about the Taiwan election? I mean, in context of what's happening uh, with Trump, with uh, the US presidential election, pursuit of happiness, you know, what's your take on, on I mean, we, we are not really expert in that area, but it is a big enough news, right? Yeah, I mean, with the election of President Lai from DPP, mm. I think that really shows, I mean, because their theme revolves around pro-independence. Mm. The theme revolves around securing our border, which is the very same thing that Trump represented. I think what they were showing is that 
hey, we are the ones that are practicing the true democracy here. I mm-hmm. mean, if you talk about like appeasement to CCP, you're never going to get the sort of democracy that you wish, the sort mm. of freedom that you really wish to see here. I mean, because what they have been enjoying, I mean, with the third term election, that is really, really an amazing thing. Mm, it's up, unprecedented for a direct presidential election. Yeah, but that goes to show that China is peace off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mean, they why, are. Why are they peace off? I think that that's the thing that people around the world will have to see. I mean, because obviously the Taiwanese, they have to make their own decision to just vote for the, the kind of government that they want. But with the rest <laughs> of the world, I think they really need to see, hey, how come this small little island is standing against CCP? Mm. And with the pro-independence stance. So that is something that is truly remarkable. Yeah, I mean, the last few years, we started to see uh, a kind of shift, right? I mean, uh, I mean, before COVID, China was very aggressive on Belt and Road. Then you see Italy pulling out. Of course, some other nations, just impossible to pull out because financially it's very straining. So that's why when it comes to mega project in Malaysia, you know, now, now the, 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 the hot topic, of course, is the high-speed rail. And, you know, I think people people who kept on saying it's a good thing, it's a good thing, they don't realize how expensive it is. And basically, you, you are putting yourself in a very, very, very expensive loan situation. And where is the money going to come from? Who is lending you at what interest? I, I mean, we have seen already, even Najib time, you know, he brought in, uh, you know, people always say he, he, he is good for economy. I, I'm not sure I agree, you know, because... Under him, YNDB happened. Under him, you know, you have the, the, the East Coast Rail project, which later on, the Bakatan Harapan had to come in and renegotiate. So bring in project and cause you to be tied down, interest cost billions. I'm not sure, you know, and that's why, you know, the, the high-speed rail, they are just kind of doing very preliminary discussions and Japan firms kind of pull out already because... They say, look, you know, any project involving this kind of technology without government support, we are not touching it because they know how expensive it is that you can't do that without... We, we, I mean, private companies are looking at profit. That's why somebody was calculating, I, I mean, based on whatever data. I mean, of course, you have a certain set of assumptions. Some, some transport analysts say... That if you charge a single way ticket KL Singapore or return six thousand ringgit one way, well we can go on an uh, Oriental Express. It would take ten years to get back ROI, ten years no, to break even. It's like who will even buy six thousand? So I, I mean yes, KL and Singapore is the busiest uh, air route in the whole world, but does it justify? I, I mean I, I'm just thinking about all these kind of thing because. People don't realize that, you know, when you say, uh, you know, we, we are okay with a particular governmental system, you, you are putting the debt, the strain on this generation and, and beyond. You know? and, and the next generation, they'll be like, we are in this mess because our parents kind of put a collateral on us. So, so that, that's the, the kind of feeling that I, I have, you know, when you talk about Taiwan, you know, self-determination. Because self-determination at the end of the day is really people are able to decide what they want. Yes, there are consequences you can you can self-determine to your detriment. It can happen. We are not saying that. And you know, you see parents dealing with children, if, if they give them more opportunity to decide, yes, the, 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 the children can screw up, maybe worse, but that's all part of learning, right? 
and the, the world seems to tell Taiwan, you know, you don't know how to behave. But Taiwan is like, I, I know better than you. And I'm going to have self-determination for myself. Yeah, but one alarming thing about Taiwan's election is, I mean, I can't help but think about, I mean, Neville Chamberlain's mm. foreign policy. I mean, he him trying to appease while he's trying to mm. deter Germany from progressing forward. And he handed, he literally handed over Czechoslovakia to Germany and at, just for that piece of peace treaty. And I think essentially he literally led the whole Britain into World War II. Mm. While he was trying so hard to avoid it, he, I mean, we can't, we can't deny the fact that history shows that he was the one who literally caused, I mean, wantingly or unwillingly, Britain just went into World War II. Oh, which is a good outcome in the end. They, yeah. they needed to go in there and he kind of just accelerates. So, so I think we were just discussing earlier on, right? You felt like the, the TPP. TPP might represent that kind of that kind of behavior. Yeah, because they were they were literally just <laughs> saying that um, DPP they at any any single opportunity, even when things are seemingly quite diplomatic with CCP, they would be quite anti CCP. I mean, most of the position would be nope. We we don't want further interference from China, and here you have the third force, mm. TPP, which is obviously having a significant amount of vote share as well. That they are, I mean, that goes to show that a whole group of generation is really kind of being brainwashed to think that it is okay to have appeasement while you're trying to maintain deterrence. So there's no such thing. I mean, you have to choose either or. You, you can't have it both ways. And history has shown that it is not working. Yep. And of course, you know, there are many, many reports saying that CCP actually invested a substantial amount of resources to influence the election. Because I think among all the election now, of course, even in American election, they, ha they have some, I mean, this happens worldwide. <coughs> but with Taiwan, I think they have special interest because if they could destabilize the nation from within, there's no need for physical war, right? Let Taiwan politically say we want to be part of the mainland China. And I mean, that, they that's are a the Silicon Valley of Asia. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's the that is very really interesting. I mean, it's like a, some a lot of voters are coming out. It's like you, you know, all the three options are not ideal. But I, I mean, it's a bit like Malaysia, right? Sometimes you go to the for, I mean, now we have two force. We will we have a third force in in near future. Don't know. Uh, but but Taiwan's third force is genuine and they are substantial and they are the youth. So I, I think we talk about. You, you know, that just because the youth are given the power and we kind of talk about Undi 18, but I think we will leave that for another episode. Yep. Because Undi 18 is really a very evolving topic. You know, it is too early to put any conc conclusion, but it, it didn't translate into what people thought it would be, right? Because, I mean, the, the conventional wisdom was that there will be more anti-establishment, there will be more... But, but it seems like it's, it's a bit different in Malaysia. But, but I guess it's because the whole political game have been kind of turned around. So, but, but any other concluding thoughts you have, you know, regarding this Iowa caucuses or what's happening? Uh, I mean, Javier Millet, you, you know, you mentioned a little bit, it's really very, I mean... Madman. <laughs> madman, right? The chainsaw madman. But you know, one story very interesting is that after he won, he called Trump and he very surprised. And Trump was, oh, Javier Millet, why, why you call me? And he said, oh, he told 
<laughs> President Trump, I, I could win because of you, because of what you did. And, and Trump immediately said, oh, then I should send you some MAGA hat, you know, because they have a lot of souvenir. Because make America great again, you can use it for make Argentina so. great again. So it, it's really interesting that here's an economist and yeah, you know, in terms, you know, he's into shock value, right? You know, he had a chainsaw and things like that. But then when he talk about some of the systemic issue, it, it does make sense. But, it, you know, some of his proposal, you know, remove the central bank, pack to USD. Uh, a lot of people thought he was crazy, but it, but Argentina is at a very, very tough place yeah, economically. I mean, you have the collapse of the banking industry in Argentina and mm-hmm. here you have an economist that is your <coughs> president that is really trying to turn things around and removing central bank. Well, who would have put that into equation? It's like, hello, we have banking crisis here and here you are, you're proposing to remove mm. central bank. So, I mean, it's a lot to be seen. And his whole argument about removing central bank is that, look, why should we have more control over people? Um, I mean, here's the point, right? But a lot of people cannot imagine, right? You, you take away the central authority for monetary policy. Very unthinkable, but we are in a very unthinkable era. But anyway, like, right, that's all the time we have for today. I mean, some of the topics that we, we talk about, maybe we'll revisit again in other episodes. Yep, sure thing. All right, so until next time, bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.